Welcome to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. This month, we're celebrating a huge milestone, the 20th anniversary of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. As a special thank you for your love and support, visit don'tsweat.com for a free download of a beautiful original image featuring an inspirational quote, perfect for your desktop or mobile device. Carry a little pick-me-up with you everywhere you go with this lovely gift from Christine and the team. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson. Before we begin, let's go ahead and take our golden pause. So wherever you are, just sit comfortably. And of course, if you're driving, just pay attention to the road and use this as a breathing exercise to just simply get present in your body. So let's go ahead and sit comfortably with our hands open on our lap and our feet uncrossed. And if you're sitting on the floor Indian style, just sit upright in a, in a straight up posture and let's begin to breathe. As you breathe in through your nose, allow your chest and your belly to expand, taking in the fullness of your breath. And as you exhale, just let go and relax. And this time as you breathe in, breathe in golden sunlight, pure golden sunlight, all the way to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and toes, all the way in your core, and just fill your body with golden sunlight. And as you exhale, just relax a little bit deeper. This time as you breathe in, breathe in love, filling your whole body with love, your heart with love, your core with love, your arms and your legs with love, your whole body with love. And as you exhale, let go of fear, let go of any anxiety in your body, just let go of anything that doesn't serve you today. And this time as you breathe in, breathe in golden sunlight to every cell of your being and place your hand on your heart, activating your heart opening your heart, and just spend a moment thinking of something that you feel incredibly grateful for. It could be a person, a place, a thing, it could be anything, and just spend a moment breathing in that gratitude and feeling that gratitude, that memory of your heart. And as you breathe in golden sunlight, and gratitude. You exhale, go ahead and open your eyes. Well, I am so excited and honored to invite this very special guest on in celebration of 20 years of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and the wisdom that have come to so many millions of people from these books. And I invited this very special person on today because he was really the start of the whole thing. So I'm super excited to introduce you to him, but I'm going to go ahead and read his bio for you, and then we'll bring him in for conversation. So Bob Miller, president and publisher. Miller founded Hyperion for Disney in 1990 and was its president and publisher until 2008. He began his career at St. Martin's Press and has also worked at Delacorte Press, HarperCollins, and Workman. He has published such authors as David Halberstam, Carolyn Kennedy, Oprah Winfrey, Mitch Album, Randy Posh, Richard and Christine Carlson. <laughs> Miller was hired to launch Flatiron Books in 2013. 
The division has had 21 New York Times bestsellers in its first two years of publishing, including four number one New York Times bestsellers. Welcome, Bob, to the podcast today. It's so wonderful to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, so I invited you on because I remember a lunch that we had at the Claremont Hotel in Berkeley, and I remember it was shortly after Richard's um, passing, and you told me some amazing stories about Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and um, its success and how it got that way. And, you know, first of all, I'd just like to thank you because between you and Leslie, you guys had the vision for Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. So you were at the very beginning and you had to have, you know, this is how publishing works. There has to be somebody behind the, the big doors of Oz that has the vision for the book, right? And you were that, you and Leslie were those people and we just want to thank you so much for that because that was the start of what you know a series um, that's you're, changed you're very welcome but it's um that's very generous um uh there i think you know to some extent we bring our all of our vision to every book we publish as book publishers but i think any of us would admit that we don't always know which books are going to find a life beyond us and the way, and certainly not the way Don't Sweat the Small Stuff did. Um, so it actually was so gratifying. It's sort of the, the thing that we all dream of every day because these books are, that we work on are, can take years to publish and they're all our babies and we want them to have lives of their own out in the world just like our babies, but you never know which ones are really going to soar. And um, so it was incredibly exciting to have that happen with those sort of small stuff where it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And I can't believe it's 20 years ago. That means I'm 20 years older than when we did that. <laughs> I know. And think of all the books you've published since then. I mean, it's kind of crazy, huh? Well, I only wish there'd been, you know, a few more like that one because unlike pretty much Every every book, it's it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just started growing or exponentially, like its own, you know, creature. Um, very early on, and it really got a life of its own that was beyond anything that um, usual in a very exciting way. Do you remember the story that you shared with me about? I think it was the Barnes and Noble employee. Do you remember that? that mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you mind telling that story? Well, yeah. The I mean, it's interesting because we started with you know a, a decent number of copies. The book was a trade paperback original, not a very expensive book. Um, I think we had started with thirty or thirty-five thousand copies that we're yeah. distributing. Which um, you know, since then there are fewer bookshelves in America, sadly, with uh, because there is no more Borders and there are fewer Barnes and Noble stores, but um, but that was a, that was a pretty good number. But um, what happened was Barnes Noble at the time had a program where the individual Barnes Noble stores could each choose one book that was their favorite to you know to feature in their particular store um, that month. And there was a store in the Midwest, I think it was near Chicago. Um, that had chosen Don't Sweat the Small Stuff just because the employees all had loved it. And we hadn't known about that until Barnes Noble called us and said, 
you know, that we have this one store and that has made Dump Stuff the Small Stuff its featured book, its its store favorite uh, that they were putting up front and making, you know, uh, more uh, apparent to their, their customers. And it's just sold like crazy more than a usual featured book would. I mean, to an incredible degree. And we thought, oh, how terrific. Um, very exciting. And, and we started talking to Mark Noble about how we could expand the program to other stores. And it involved uh, payments of um, what's called co-op advertising, which is basically um, paying for placement at the front of store in other stores. They had done this one store that just on an, a, on their own choice. But then we decided, okay, let's work with Barnes & Noble to replicate that as much as possible in other stores. And the more stores they put it in front of store, the more they had everywhere they did that. And this incredible thing. And this was before any publicity had happened, really, to speak of on the book. It was just the book itself, something about that title that drew people to the book. And then when they picked up the book, they read it and got the feeling we all got when we had read the book, which was a kind of a, an urge to give it to 10 other people we knew. As you read that book, you thought, I can think of 10 other people I want to give this book to right now. Because it's so, it's, it makes so much sense. And it, it's making me feel warm from head to toe and hopeful. And like these are things I would want to remember that are, that are simple and obvious and yet said in a way that is really tangible. So we just – it just kept going without any publicity. Wherever we would manage to get it in front of people in, a, in an apparent quantity, um, and we kept – it kept growing and growing. And at one point, we got to our first ever in the history of that company, our first ever pallet promotions at Sam's Club. And that's where if, you, if you've ever been in a Sam's Club, you walk down these big aisles – and instead of it just being one of the books piled up in the book run on the tables, it had its own pallet. It's like this giant box that has been opened, and there's just thousands of them. And it, you know, it was very expensive to do that, but we knew by that point that the more uh, people saw that book and picked it up, that they would, the more people saw it and tripped over it, the more they would pick it up and respond to it, and the more they would read a few pages and then want to buy not just one copy, but many. Um, so by in the first six months of that, of just growing, growing, growing exponentially, from that, I guess it was January we started. By June, we were up to a million copies from 30,000. And it was like nothing else we'd ever seen. And I remember, remember noticing that number because it was an amount we'd achieved with still no publicity to speak of. Until Richard was on the Oprah Winfrey show that June, you may remember. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. He wasn't the only author on the show. He was just one of the authors on a show. Um, but it was a result of this groundswell of sales for the book that it bubbled up to the awareness of the Oprah Winfrey producers who had loved the book also. But it was just even then. It was just. A, it was. He was not the the sole guest, but he had. Then, so that publicity then just, of course, helped it go further and further until, uh, you know, the book, like the 
very few other books went up in the millions and millions. And ultimately, you know, the last I saw, and that was a couple of years ago, but it was up to, say, 9 million copies, I think it was, which is, you know, that's, that's more than pretty much any book you can name. Yeah, so the books to date now have sold um, as a series over 25 million copies. My goodness. So you, the book, so the original book, plus all of the uh, the books that came after, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff for Women, of course, your great book, and all the others. So all of those combined, that's quite incredible. Well, and um, we had an experience once where um, we were shopping at Costco, Richard and I, and it was when the books were in Costco, like you said, and mm -hmm. we were standing in line and there was a guy next to us that had about 10 copies of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff in his cart, and he mm -hmm. was standing right next to Richard. <laughs> and I said, and yep. Richard looked at me and he, he looked at the cart and we both smiled. And then I said to the guy in, at the cart, I said, hey, you must really like that book. And, and the guy goes, oh, my God, I love this book. I want to buy one for everyone I know. And then I there said, you go. And I said, well, do you want the yeah. author to sign him for you? <laughs> Richard was Amazing. so embarrassed. I mean, he was so embarrassed. Well, and, and Richard, you know, the title became known. Um, even more than than he was known, uh, but you know, once people attached to the title, they were like, "Oh, you're that guy," um, because the title was what pe what people latched on to. And uh, I think that not only is the book obviously very, you know, it, it makes simple ideas very um, graspable. And, um, and meaningful in, in fresh ways, but the I think that when we published the book, it was at a moment when we, as a country, were all really suddenly feeling like we were sweating a lot of small stuff. Yeah. And I think it, it was at a moment um, when we suddenly all were fa facing this, the beginnings of an explosion in technology, um, where. We were we had a lot to figure out. I mean, there I was trying to figure out how to dial up DSL from my home on our little our first computer, so our kids could do the homework that suddenly was being assigned online. And I spent you know half of my day talking to help desks in India to try to figure out how to get this thing to work. And um, I think that I wasn't alone, although I was the most technologically incompetent of the of the of my generation. I I wasn't alone in feeling overwhelmed by an enormous amount of complexity that we suddenly had to grapple with, with um, the dawn of computers, which came even before smartphones and everything else that has made it, you know, kind of our lives easier and more complicated all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we always think of technology as it was designed to make our lives easier and simpler, but it, I mean, I really haven't found that to be true in my own world at all. I mean, even if you look at mm -hmm. what it means to be an author today because of technology, it's just a whole lot more work than it ever was before. <laughs> I know. I know. Can, can you imagine J.D. Sounder being told that he should be blogging and podcasting and tweeting and... Facebook have a Facebook page and you know where's your platform, Salinger? Catch her in the rye, my ass. You know, let's let's get your numbers up. Um, so it, I think the burden has fallen on all of us to be communicating in so many ways at once and receiving so many kinds of communication at once that it's just on a daily basis keeps getting more and more complicated. But I think 
the adjustment from from having it from the analog world of our record albums and our print books and um, our newspaper we might read once a day that came to the doorstep to a digital world where suddenly we were having to master new ways to get information and the result of that mastery was the need for more mastery and a sudden flood of toward us of information that we had to you know, dis- distinguish between uh, for its value. Um, I think that that was happening right in 1995 and 96, and that is the book came out at a time when I think people saw that title and thought, ah, that I need that. Yeah, I think so too. It, it's interesting because you know what you're saying is is so true. Is is when people are overwhelmed and stressed and especially having anxiety that they pick up don't sweat the small stuff that that's what i've noticed over the years and even in different countries you know when um japan was going through their a a real downturn in their economic um period don't sweat the small stuff was number one in japan and Mm. we found that very interesting you know because the japanese i mean really they're they're such a culture of perfectionists you know so for them to exactly. look like don't sweat the small stuff was kind well, of well it's interesting because a lot of the principles that are in don't sweat the small stuff and the, the other books following it are modern versions of buddhist and uh, mindfulness practices yeah, which you would think on on the one hand would be asking us to pay more attention to details look at the dew on that grass blade and appreciate it and feel your breath and you know uh do sweat the small stuff in a way but i think we all understood that from the title because of what was happening at the time that what this book was helping us do was get perspective on what mattered versus what didn't matter at a time when it was very hard to distinguish the two. And um, not that it's gotten any easier. In fact, it's gotten just harder and harder. So I think when, you know, when Richard pointed out that when you were, the day after you died, your inbox would fill up again, which I remember as one of the entries. And it was like, oh, you know, because they were desperately catching up every three seconds all of a sudden to our digital inbox. You know, and basically, you know what? You, you're going to die someday, inevitably, and you're most going to be small. So, um, and the idea that I remember another one where he was saying that in a hundred years, no, no one, it'll be all new people, all a whole new group of people on this planet. No one who's here right now is going to be here a hundred years from now. And I'm like, oh, and here I am worrying about, you know, my DSL connection. You know, it's like, well, maybe there's something given the fact, the reminder that we're all mortal and uh, and there may be something that matters more than in my life and the things I'm becoming obsessed with in my gadgetry and technology and new forms of communication and barrage of information as a firehouse. Well, certainly, and and we all want to spend our lives focused on what matters most to us, and and not focused on the stuff that just takes our energy away from from that which is going to bring us joy and peace and mm-hmm. harmony and all the things that you know most people all around the world really aspire to. Because when we look around the world, we don't find that we're really all that much different in what we really want from life and what we want for our families and and um, yes. yeah, so. I want to just ask you, you know, like um, something that is just a big question in the world today with the 
you know, as as Barnes and Noble and Borders and all the larger bookstores are, um, you know, like we we had this huge Barnes and Noble that closed down in our area. And mm. how what is the future of publishing? Like, really, what how how do you feel that publishers are going to ride this wave? And and what is the future of books um, in general? Do you think? Well, that's interesting because on the one hand, so much has changed because we have. We can read electronically, and we can buy books physically from online retailers, uh, Amazon among them, of course. We can buy books electronically. We can get books on our phone. Um, so the, the, the ways we're buying books and the ways we're reading them have undergone a change that we can talk about. But on the other hand, paradoxically, the same the business is pretty much the same size uh, now, as it was in terms of number of books sold and number of people reading them, um, as it was when I started 38 years ago. So, you know, this business is roughly a $20 billion business. Maybe $8 billion is children's books and $12 billion is adult. I mean, it varies a little year to year. But, and the prices have changed and the number of years have changed. But basically, that's about a billion people, a billion books being very. Uh, overgeneralizing, a billion books a year are being sold by somebody to, to somebody who wants to read one. That's a pretty high which is percentage. A lot of books. Yeah. That's so it's a matter of just how they're reading them and who's where they're buying them, but we're still selling them. And um, yeah, a lot of the changes present kind of counter trends as they happen. So. Just as the rise of Amazon and electronic publishing uh, had an enormous effect on uh, Borders, the second largest chain at the time, so it went out of business, and Barnes Noble, which is under pressure to close some stores and sell other things besides books in the stores, because the uh, electronic publishing took took some business out of their stores. Uh, to online selling, both by Amazon and Barnes Noble and iBookstore and others. Um, the prediction at one point was, oh, it's just all going to be electronic soon. And then, and really, at one point, you could go, you could just listen to the, the debate. Was just a matter of when will it all be electronic in two years or five years or six years? The assumption was by many people, um, you know, when this all started happening say, 10 years ago, um, that it will all be digital at some point soon, so there would be no bookstores. But that hasn't happened. Um, interestingly, um, the independent booksellers, the, the smaller bookstores that are independently owned, have been increasing their sales um, year over year for the past several years. And while they're still the smallest group as a total group, it's interesting to think that you know if you know what you want to buy, you might buy it online and and get it electronically instantly or at your home very soon thereafter, and it's incredibly convenient. But if you want a bookstore experience and you want a browsing experience and you want personal recommendations and the feeling of community of a bookstore and go hear an author speak and sign your book for you, you go to a physical bookstore and, and a bookstore that really feels like a book, a great browsing experience, a great community experience, bookstore, which is often an independent bookstore. So independent bookstores, paradoxically, have been on the rise. 
Um, another surprise I think we all had was that while electronic publishing had grown very quickly, uh, pretty soon we realized that it was very, you know, people talked about 30% or so of the business being electronic or 40%, but actually that was an average. And you had romance titles or fan fiction or erotica or mysteries, genre fiction, selling to a large degree electronically, maybe 70, 80, 90%. But then you had uh, nonfiction still selling 80 or 90% physically, as it does today. And you have children's books and cookbooks and craft books and other kinds of illustrated practical nonfiction reference books that are selling almost, almost no copies electronically. Because those are books people want to buy by looking at and experience physically. So even though you know, a lot of the predictions of what how the electronic publishing would take over every form have happened in certain kinds of fiction, very commercial fiction, but haven't happened in the same way in other genres. So it's, um, it's a very evolving and mixed experience. Um, independent books are here to say, say print in general is back up over the last three years each year. Uh, people are returning to print, and many people theorize that because we now are spending, you know, 18 hours a day on a screen of some sort for our work or on our phones, that when we go to read, it's a wonderful vacation from a screen to re read oh, a book on paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of surprises in, in how this has evolved. Print is back up. Independent bookstores are back up. Um, some genres are completely physical and never went electronic as predicted. Um, so I think I think the business is going to go on, and I think it, we've reached a new some new levels of stability after the all the the change that was hard to to adjust to. Um, publishers are doing quite well, and people are reading books. So um, that's where the hope lies. That's great. I mean, that's so good to hear, and you know, it also it, it it's. No wonder that Hachette is repackaging the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff book series then, you know, because I don't know if I told you that when I was visiting you in New York that um, that Hachette was like, they have given them all new book covers, which is really exciting. They finally look like a real, like a, a full-on series. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, these, these books, the observations and the way in which uh, Richard and you had a unique way of presenting the very comforting material which helps people get perspective basically in any area of life uh, that those truths are eternal and more or less is needed than ever and I think new generations discover those books all the time um, and complexity and the need to prioritize has not uh, gone away in our lives at all. So I think that those, those, those books will do well forever, and nice to know that they're getting new clothes. Yeah, and so my last question for you as a publisher, you know, I know you alluded to the fact that you don't really know, but you must have some kind of idea. Do you have any sort of criteria that you look for in a book that um, really, like, makes you say, yes, I want that book over, um, no, that's not the book for us or me, because you do have an amazing track record. Well, that's nice of you to say. <laughs> I mean, I think 
I'm especially lucky to have worked with great editors who are good at sifting through the thousands of proposals and manuscripts that publishers get and finding the ones that have some uniqueness in their premise or their point of view. And then out of those books that have that uniqueness, uh, we all, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out, is it a uniqueness that would have an audience and one we can, we, because we're excited about it, can find ways to convey to that audience. And, you know, but it takes all the, all the stars lining up, you know, the, the unique premise, the author who is good at conveying that premise, who has a real voice that, you know, makes you feel that kind of warm vibration that you went as you read it, like, that we all did when we read Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Um, you just feel like, oh, you really feel like you're someone speaking to you and about something important in a new way. And that we can imagine it that if it makes us feel that way, that we hope and believe that others might feel that way. And we start getting excited about ways that we might publish it, which means to make it public and convey our excitement to others. And sometimes they uh, agree and sometimes they don't. But uh, that, that definitely keeps it interesting. So we go on. Well, Bob, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule to um, be with us as a celebration of 20 years for Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I can't imagine having done this podcast without you, and I just, I know it's not your regular gig, but now you get to know how all your mm -hmm. authors feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I applaud you, your efforts for keeping this great series alive, and it was, it's just was and was so gratifying to work on and it's really really nice to remember it with you now so thank you for including oh, me no thank you and i know if richard were here you know he always just thought the world of you and you know would be just um as i am now just so thankful that you know you gave us that really great break and and it, it's been an amazing ride and yeah it's an amazing series and it was it was wonderful to be part of the Hyperion family all those years ago. We, we really, oh, it was that's nice. Well, I will just also say, since you know, you're thinking about Richard, he was um, pretty unique in that the success of these books did not, in the way I experienced him, did not change him. He really, um, unlike many people who have this kind of enormous success, he stayed modest and he stayed true to the messages he was conveying and tried to live by them, which is hard for any of us. But I, I really felt that from him. He, he felt like the same person before, during, and after all of this happened to me, which I, uh, I think that's one of the things I admired most in the end. Ah, thank you. Well, I agree. And, and of course, um, that was a pretty conscientious decision on our part as a couple. We talked a lot about that and, you know, and, and it, it really was a very conscious decision to see the success that we had as an incredible blessing, but we really didn't want it to change us. You know, that Richard really felt that to stay, you know, pure to the message as much as possible and keeping our hearts and keep our hearts open and pure was really the way to stay grounded amidst all that. So, yeah, thank well, you. Thank great you to see you carrying that on, which you certainly do. Thank you so much, Bob. Well, listen, have a wonderful rest of your day. And again, thank you for um, sharing your wisdom about publishing with our listeners and just the great stories that you had to share. I so appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. Thanks, Bob. Bye.
Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff with Christine Carlson. Visit don'tsweat.com for your free download of a beautiful original image featuring an inspirational quote ready to make its home on your desktop or mobile device. 